0: This morning and next week, we're going to be jumping into a series on the gift of repentance. On the gift of repentance, amen. So, we want to finish this up today. And again, when we look at those things that scripture says that the Lord says He's displeased with, we can know what He is pleased with by the inverse is true, so to speak, amen. So, we're going to go to Psalm 60 uh, today, and then I'll also read from Zechariah, but I'll allow you to be seated. Uh, for that one pray you could be seated for that one so good to see different ones good to see rex this morning amen in the house of the lord good to see him amen today and different ones good to have alexis and shelby again with us amen this morning mike uh hirst amen coming here again on sunday morning we're so glad to see you your faces amen makes me happy and glad it was good to see molly and ivy walk in uh, with dixie and roxana today so so good to see the faces amen of the people of the lord this morning. I uh, Psalm sixty and verse number one. This has been our launching board, our launching pad. Oh God, David says, Thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, at least that's how he felt. Thou hast been displeased. Then the reality sets in. Oh, turn thyself to us again. David saying, You've cast us off, you've scattered us. But then that that the light bulb moment for David comes. Thou hast been displeased. And so that brings meaning to why he has felt cast off, brings meaning to why he has felt scattered from the Lord, it's because the Lord has been displeased uh, with him and more likely Israel as a whole. Again, you know, whenever you have, find displeasure, someone finds displeasure with you, uh, you know, that's kind of like trying to hug a porky. You know, you just don't you just don't get too close and you don't pull too tight. And so that's what David is realizing here. There's some displeasing things, and so he just feels scattered and feels cast off. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, we need your help today. The next little while, Lord Jesus, in this place. Help us, Father, to be Lord instructed by the Spirit of the Lord. Help us today to follow Lord Jesus you. Lord in this place today God give us direction God for what you would want and what you would have Lord in the next few moments of time I pray God today let the anointing of your spirit God come upon us Lord and give us enlightenment Lord Jesus of your word of your scriptures and will not fail to thank you for it in Jesus name that I pray amen and amen everyone say amen you may be seated this morning in Jesus name <clears throat> And as you are seated, we'll turn to Zechariah then, chapter 1, and get to item number 6 of of things that that displease the Lord. Zechariah 1 and verses 2 through 4, the scripture states these words. The Lord hath been sore displeased, he says, with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Now, on some of these things that we have looked at that the Lord is displeased with. They've been very, very specific. They've been very detailed in what it was that the Lord was displeased with this. This is kind of more of a general or a uh, more of a net that's cast and brings in a lot of things into one rather than being detailed. And that is this basically what the Lord is saying here is that the Lord is displeased with disobedience. And now that that's a broad net. But uh, I think that's important. In other words, he's just, he's just simply uh, displeased with people being disobedient or unmoved, not turning toward him and depending upon him. Give us a little context here of the scripture in Zechariah. Zechariah is addressing a remnant, what is left of about 50,000 Jews who have made the difficult journey, the difficult commitment, to return to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. You remember that they had been taken away by a few different times, three different bands of people, as it were, taken away to captivity in Babylon. But now there is this returning, again, of a few different bands at a time. But it's during this time that there's about 50,000 of them that's making their commitment to return to Jerusalem. And, And wherever the decree was made that they could go back home, it's important to note that not everybody went back home. Everybody didn't go back home. Uh, Esther part and parcel is a good indication of one that didn't go back home at the particular time whenever it was allowed. But nevertheless, not everyone went back home. So people are making commitments to return to Jerusalem. And when they went back home, they they went back to a place, Jerusalem, the city, the temple. These things are in ruins. And so they're going back home to reconstruct their temple. They're going back home to reconstruct the walls about Jerusalem that we read about in the book of Ezra. And the Bible says as they returned home to do these things, to rebuild the temple and rebuild these walls, that they were met with opposition. They were met with opposition. They were going back to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple, and they were met with opposition. Uh, you can just put the little footnote in your Bible that any time that you desire to do the things of God and for God, you will be met. With opposition, So we shouldn't. That's the reason why New Testament writer Paul says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has come upon you. Why? Because when you involve yourself in the work of God, let me say this. Whenever you decide to become a son or daughter of God. At that level, you will be met with opposition. It's hands down. It's part of the package. I hate to say it like that, but it is. It's part of the package. So please don't uh, get into the mode. Well, I'm going to tuck my tail, run. I'm, this is not for me. Listen, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, it's It's just one of those things that's going to happen. It's just one of those things that's going to take place. Why the enemy of your soul does not want you to be a child of God. It's quite simple, but sometimes we miss the idea. He doesn't want you to do what you are doing. He doesn't want you to be faithful unto the Lord. So they were met with opposition, and as a result of it, for 16 years, everybody said that's a long time, for 16 years, they set aside the work of rebuilding the temple. They set aside the work for doing these things, for rebuilding the temple and the things for the Lord. And so here was part and parcel of the problem. When they set aside, you listen, when they set aside Doing the work of the Lord, then they had some time, and they got caught up in the business of just life. Mm-hmm. When when they were not investing themselves there, they found other trivial, menial, lesser important things to invest themselves into, and and. Granted, listen, folks, it it probably wasn't. Maybe it was for some, but it probably wasn't for all an intentional decision to do that. But again, the enemy likes to lull us to sleep, Mm -hmm. become very comfortable and to involve ourselves in things sometimes that we believe, you know, is really no harm. Mm -hmm. No harm, perhaps they thought to God. But the Bible says it was during this moment of time that they got caught up just in the busyness of life, and they left off building the temple for 16 years. That God raised up a prophet by the name of Haggai. You have him in your scriptures. Haggai uh, is a book in the Bible, and he rose up and asked a question and said, "Is it time for you?" That's during the 16-year period of time they're not doing anything for the temple. "Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses?" And this house, he's referring to the house of the Lord, this house lie waste. What's he telling them? He's saying you're putting more emphasis and giving more attention to your house than you are my house. He said, your concerns, you're you're encircling your life, but the things concern your house rather than my house. Is it time for you to do well there and then let this one lie waste? And this is the the, the words that he constantly told them in that chapter. He said, consider your ways. We need a, a voice from heaven every once in a while to come down and give us a consider your way mandate. That's a good reminder from time to time. And as the months and the years pass by in our lives and we can very easily as the adversary would allow for us to get caught up in life or that reminder to come back, consider your ways. Where is your time or your energy being invested? Because no matter how hard they worked, no matter how hard they worked, in spite even that they came back to their homeland and they made the commitment to come back to Jerusalem, they still needed to be obedient in building up the things that were of God. Amen. They still need to be obedient in that respect. Because if we don't watch ourselves sometimes, we can equalize activity and busy work as obedience. That's not always the case. You, 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 can, be, you can be busy or active even in a church but not be obedient. Amen. And so it's not necessarily an equalizer right there. And so they had attended to many things. They had attended to many things, but the problem was many of the things they attended to were self-serving things. Self-serving things. Self-serving things that caused them to abandon the things of God. They were around the temple that was being constructed. Absolutely. That they were living around that area of the temple where it was being reconstructed, but they weren't doing anything necessarily. Some to benefit the temple. To top it all off, According to the word of the Lord, not doing so, not doing so, didn't seem to have a real bearing or impact on their lives on the surface. In other words, although they had disengaged for 16 years, it didn't really seem it's not affecting me. Huh? Not having really no impact here. But the people responded. If you note in Haggai, the people responded to Haggai's message and began to work in the temple again because he told them, you're going to allow this one to be waste in you and your sealed houses. And so two months, here we go. They're starting afresh again after 16 years of no work. They're starting again two months into the project. The Bible says it like this in Zechariah 1.1 In the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. And so that dates very significant because when they first started to rebuild the temple, opposition came and forced them to stop. Now, as they begin again to rebuild the temple, according to Ezra, guess what's happening? Opposition is coming again. So what we got to come to terms with is this. There might not be any particular days that we can do the work of the Lord without any opposition. And so that, if that's the case, because if we don't watch it, then we'll just settle over here somewhere in our laurels. And it's like, we're just going to wait for the storm to pass. We're just going to wait for everything to be just right and okay. And then we'll do the work of the Lord. But if you're waiting for that, Brother Mason saying it here in my ear, that's never going to occur and happen. And see, the adversary's happy about that because I can get them in a pl- constant spot being of just no activity, not investing themselves not trying to do anything for God, be involved in the things of God because they're waiting for whenever the clouds are going to part and there's they're going to be sunshine, they're not going to have any pressure opposition. That day's not going to come. 16 years earlier, they started the work of the Lord. Opposition. 16 years later, they started again. There's opposition. So what does the people need to do? You know what? If this is going to get done, I'm going to have to do it in the midst of opposition. If this is going to get done, I'm going to have to do it while there's pressure. If this is going to happen in my life, then I'm going to have to do it going against the wind. But you know what? They did it. They accomplished it. It was done. It got finished. Although they were being opposed. I'm here to encourage somebody today. You can do great things for God. It might be in the middle of opposition, but there'll be a day in the future you'll look over your shoulder and say, see where I am and where I progress all the while while the winds of adversity were blowing upon me. Amen. So what's your word, Brother McGee? My word is just do it anyway. Just go ahead. Be involved anyway. Do the work of the Lord anyway. And so they're they're, they're, they're two months into this. Opposition's coming again. Thank the Lord. The word of the Lord comes into them. It says and speaks that God was sore displeased, he said, with your fathers. Because they had this very similar cycle that he's seen them falling into. Disobedience. A subtle rebuke or redirection. Repentance, then what follows? Obedience. To only go then back to disobedience? Huh? Rebuke, repenting, obedience. It's that constant cycle. It's the cycle that they were caught in in the book of Judges. It's that constant cycle. And it's hard to get anything built, it's hard to make any progress forward with that type of cycle. And so Zechariah's message was this. God was displeased with your fathers because of their disobedience. So what's he telling them? Learn from history. Learn from your mom and dad. Don't allow their sin. Don't allow their error to become your sin and your error. Learn from it. God wants this temple built, guys. God wants this temple to be rebuilt. He's asked you to rebuild this temple. You get that? God had asked those people. Who were struggling to rebuild his temple. Do you understand that? So here's something you got to get in your mind and heart. If God entrusted the job to me, he must have faith in me that I can see it to finish. Somebody hearing me today? He saved you. He's brought you to the church. He may even have put some things on your heart concerning the work of the Lord. If God's doing that, it's because God has the belief in you that you can see it to completion. Don't allow the opposition. Amen. Don't allow the enemy to talk you out of what God's trying to talk you into. Amen. So. He says, I want you to rebuild. Don't stop for anybody. Don't let outside opposition deter you from what I've planned for you or want you to obey. Don't don't let things, don't let my things become unimportant as you advance some of your personal itineraries. No, I, I have this. I want you to do this because I believe you can do this. Amen. So, see, the people got to a place that allowed the godly things to become their their pastime rather than their, their lifeline and their life Style, Amen. He said, "Don't, don't, don't be accepting the condition of the temple as it is. You know, it's just the way things are. Type of mentality. Because that, you know what? The it's just the way things are. Mentality can do for us in life in any area of life. You know what it does? It releases us of responsibility of having to do anything. You know." Grasses get tall, well, that's just the way it is. You know, it just grows, it rains, it's the way it happens. You know, a shingle comes off on the roof. Well, that's just the way it is, you know, the wind blows, so on and so forth. You know, attitude after that so long is going to cause water to come in the house. But see, we we want to assume that it's just the way it is, because that lightens us having any feeling of having to be responsible. And I dare to say whenever we say those things, it's because we really want to be taxed from having any responsibility with whatever it is we're saying that about. The Bible says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 15, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Question mark. Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither, and this is a key word, could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. See, constant, constant disobedience had deceived this people in Jeremiah 6, had deceived them to believe that such a life was acceptable, acceptable, normal. There wasn't anything wrong with it. The Bible says they were not ashamed when they committed their abominations because they didn't consider those things that they were doing to be any more an abomination it wasn't and again the key word look at it there it wasn't that neither did they blush but it was neither could neither could they blush they had lost the ability they had lost the ability to blush they were so calloused so impervious to sin, so unaffected that they could not blush. You know, uh, you see someone get bear, embarrassed, you know, the face turns red. It's like having that same episode happen to them time after time to where no longer were they embarrassed by whatever took place. That reaction doesn't take place anymore. It's like it's no big deal. And so these people did, they, they neither could they blush. They, they didn't embarrass them, didn't cause them to duck their head before this was considered an abomination now they do it and there is no attachment or feeling that comes over them as though there's anything wrong with what they're doing they're callous the Bible says in Jeremiah 6 then verse number 16 he continues and says to them thus saith the Lord stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk Therein, And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Verse 17 says, also, I set a watchman over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. So the general consensus of the people here in Jeremiah of that day was this. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't need anyone to tell me <laughs> any different. He says, I told them to walk. They said, well, not going to walk. I told them to hearken. They said, not hearken. See, they, when it speaks about, of the watchman there in verse number 17, to hearken to the sound of the trumpet. The sound of the trumpet was oftentimes used in the Old Testament. It would give certain sounds or certain Uh, patterns of sounds for different purposes sometimes it would give a particular sound for just calling a general assembly of the people together other times a distinction in the sound meant it was time for men together for war to go out to war and so the way in which the trumpet sounded gave gave indication to all of those that were in hearing distance what was needed what was expected of them in that moment And so what it comes down to is this. There was a sound of the trumpet going forward, but the people were deciding not to act in accordance with what the trumpet was sounding. They were not acting in accordance with it, although it was sounding the way it should be sounded. Amen. If it was calling them to defend themselves, they, they just weren't going to do that. But it was the responsibility of the watchman to make sure that the trumpet would give the sound. The Bible speaks that it wouldn't give a uncertain sound. In other words, that it would be clear with the sound that was being made, whether it be for war or for gathering, whatever. It would be a certain sound. And so... I'm not here to put no, uh, you know, cotton in my own pocket, so to speak, this morning. But the watchman was the overseer. He could see, hey, he had a vantage point more than anybody else because of being the watchman on the wall. So he knew when war needed to be called forth or when there needed to be a general assembly. And it was up to him that there's no certain sound. And so I said all that to say this. If it seems like sometimes that I'm a little too plain behind the pulpit, it's because I want to make sure that there's no uncertainty in the sound that's issuing forth from the pulpit. I don't want anybody to be confused or uh, uh, not knowing what I'm talking about. I'm giving a certain sound because we need to respond according to the sound that's coming from the trumpet, if you will, to know what we ought to do. And so it was the responsibility then of the hearer to know the difference in the sounds and to react accordingly. The Bible says in Ezekiel 33 and verse 30, Ezekiel 33 and verse 30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. Ezekiel's dealing with something very similar. For with their mouth they shew much love. But their heart goeth after their covetousness. Verse 32. And lo, thou art unto them. Speaking of Ezekiel here. Thou art unto them, Ezekiel, as a very lovely song. Of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, and lo, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. You know what Ezekiel was saying. Ezekiel was saying, I, I, "I've cried out to you all, trying to give you guidance and instruction." He said, to to do certain things or go down certain paths, and you are not doing them, but you're going after your own things. And he says, he says, My voice, my voice, my guidance to you is just like a lovely song and a pleasant voice that's on the instrument. They 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 hearing what I'm saying, but they're not, there's like, oh Ezekiel, all of that guidance you're giving, that sounds real good. But I'm gonna do my own thing. See, it's like, sing me another sermon, Ezekiel, without it having a scratch of impact on my life. Amen. And he says, well, it's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass whenever I've tried to give you guidance concerning certain things are going to come to pass, and you don't do them. He said, whenever they come to pass, you know what you're going to know? You're going to know that a prophet's been among you. What does that mean? You're going to know what I was saying was true, and you should have followed what I said. Amen. And so they heard the trumpet back to these people. They heard the trumpet, but they weren't doing anything about the signal that it was giving. Amen. Here's the thing. Whenever we walk away from what we know to be right. A spirit of conviction. Should come down upon our hearts. And our souls. Spirit of conviction. Let me say it like this. A spirit of conviction should come upon us as saints just as much as it does upon the unsaved the sin yes scary thing is when we get familiar with the voice of Ezekiel huh or, or other things as it may be in our life but, but we should have the same conviction that comes upon us and here's why it's important for a church then as saints we need conviction to come upon us because and I have preached perhaps you know this along my life in years and that is because if God's saints don't have any conviction then we are out of our ever living minds if those that are unsaved are going to have any conviction Hmm? if it doesn't impact us how shall it impact them and so Zechariah's audience Zechariah back to Zechariah they return to the land they're going to rebuild the temple And Zechariah didn't want this generation to return. Listen to him. He didn't want them to return to the land and rebuild a temple. And this is important without returning to God. Because they could return to the land and even rebuild a temple, but not return to the God of the temple. Yeah, it's important. So not just to return to the, let me put it in these terms. He wanted them to come to church, but not come to church without coming to God. He, yeah, that's right. He wanted them to come there to God. Zechariah 1 3, the Bible says, therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord. Thankful that you're in Jerusalem, thankful that you're rebuilding the temple. But you stop short of the journey if you've not returned to me. Return to me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Adam Clark says it like this. He said, men are lost because they turn not unto God. But no man is lost because he had not power to return. He so said, man's lost because... He did not turn, not because he didn't have power to turn. What's that mean? We all have the ability to make the choice, the decision, and to return unto the Lord. None of us are in a place, position, where we cannot make that choice and that decision. So, someone say, It's up to me. It is. It's up to me. And so, God's plea is for us to return unto Him, not just to His laws, not just to His statutes, but to return unto Him. Because if we return to God, the laws and the statutes are a given. They are. Sometimes I think our our approach to the Lord is different. It's like I'm going to keep God's commands. You know what we find ourselves then doing? Pulling away and not keeping the commands anymore because we return to his commands without returning to him. Mm hmm. I've seen it time and time again. People, even new converts get in. We're going to keep the commands of the Lord. But you've got got to get in a relationship with God. Because the command and statutes and precepts of the Lord all just come as an outcropping and outflow of your relationship if you come to the Lord. But if you just try to keep the list of commands, you're going to fall away from it every time. You'll fall away from it because you're having a relationship with rules rather than you are a relationship with the master. Oh, yeah. Amen. Someone say, I love him. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the Lord. Mark 10. Mark 10 and verse 13. Let's go on to item number seven here. Things that displeased the Lord. Mark 10 and verse number 13. And they brought young children to him. That's Jesus. That he should touch them and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So we have, we have some people bringing some young children to the Lord. The disciples rebuke those that are bringing them, and Jesus is displeased. And so here's item number seven. The Lord is displeased when people serve as an obstacle or get in the way of those who are trying to reach him. Amen. The Bible says, if I can take an Old Testament uh, scripture, Exodus 21 and verse 22. I got to pick up my feet here a little bit. Exodus 21 and verse 22. The Bible says, if men strive... And hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, meaning her child, and yet no mischief follow. He shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. Now, this was a literal law in the Old Testament times. And so I understand that this is a literal law in the Old Testament times. However, I would, for our purposes this morning, like to take this Old Testament law and spiritualize it just for a moment. Spiritualize it just for a moment. Whether it's taken in the literal sense or applied in the spiritual sense, folks, if you read that verse, this is a heavy verse to bear. Heavy verse to bear. And it should be a word of warning. No doubt in the literal sense for them in the Old Testament, but if I take it to a level of spiritualizing, both in this sense as well. Literally what we have here is a woman that is losing the child that she is pregnant with as a result of the strife of men. We don't know how far along she was with this child. We don't know if it was her first, second, or third trimester, how many weeks it was. Amen. We do not know the dynamics of that. But if I can spiritualize it for us this morning, let's consider this a picture of the church. With a a person on the verge of being born again of the water and the spirit. However, due to strife and contention that exists, perhaps in the church. A person disengages before they're ever born again. And they walk out never to enter back into the church house. God is displeased with that. God is displeased with that. Furthermore, it's an instance, again, spiritualizing, it's an instance where a man or men will be punished. Look how how the punishment comes. It comes per the woman's husband. Punishment's going to come up on these two that are in strife. Per the woman's husband. Now listen, I don't want to be responsible for the church losing any potential new confidence. I don't really want to carry that on my shoulder because if I spiritualize this moment, the punishment is per the husband. The church's mama. Who's the husband of the church? hmm The Almighty. The Almighty God. I don't want, listen. Someone says you never received a whipping until God's whipped you. <laughs> no thanks. If the heaven is just throwing the earth is footstool. And I know that is all personification, but I wonder, uh, you know, if they would put dimensions on his paddle for me, you know. Amen. <laughs> hey I, I don't want that one. So if God is displeased when people disrupt, and here it is. Old Testament literal law. He's displeased when men disrupted the natural. Hear me? The natural progression of conception to birth. If he was displeased over that in the natural, I wonder how much displeased he is that over in the spiritual from the moment of conception of a newborn babe in Christ to the birth of that babe in the church. I don't know about what punishment would come, but I know that it displeases the Lord. God was so adamant about people keeping others from reaching him or even from swaying those who already have been acquainted with him that he said... I know this is bold. I don't think he's going to come down and strike you dead, but this is Old Testament law, that they should be killed. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 5, the Bible says, and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because, this is why, he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, redeemed you out of the house of bondage, To thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shall thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. So he cuts in a little closer here to the lives of those that may be influenced to depart from him. For that matter, he lays some things very important down for us. He's saying they're trying to deter you from the one that brought you out of your bondage. They're trying to deter you from the one that brought you from the land of Egypt. Now, this take a moment. Remember where you used to be. Huh? And who helped you get up out of the horrible pit that you found yourself in, he says. And now you got people trying to influence you away from the one that brought you out. Consider. And so he spoke against, he said, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Oh, sometimes it's people of influence. Sometimes it's people of influence. That want to speak into our ears. But he cautioned them. And Look, he said, even those of your own family, it could be doing these things. We'll note it here in just a bit. In verse number six of Deuteronomy, the list goes like this. He said, if your brother, your son, your daughter, your wife, your friend, if they're serving as that enticer, as that obstacle, he said, they got to be dealt with. In the Old Testament, they had to be killed. He said, but they, and and for modern day language here, New Testament hour, they need to be dealt with. Deuteronomy 13 and verse 9. But thou, Deuteronomy 13 verse 9. But thou shalt surely kill him. And this, every time I read my Bible through in a year and I come upon this verse of scripture, I probably write something in my margin every year. Because this is a, this is this is these two couple verses of scripture are verses you need to underline and you need to put into your life these verses right here. I guarantee you, every year I'm affected by them. But thou shalt surely kill him. Everybody say, "Thine hand, thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people, and thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he has sought to thrust thee away." From the Lord thy God, which again He's emphasizing, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. The reason why I think you need this in your underlined in your Bibles, in your heart. He said, if this thing is going to be taken care of, we we can and we, we talk about. We can talk it through through means of of people. We can talk it through means of of temptations that might not be a person. We it, anything that is drawing you away from God. Anything that's drawn you away from God. Here is what the scripture tells us. Go back to verse number nine, brother Zach. Here's what it's telling us. This is what needs to be done. You put your hand on it. Are you hearing me? He says, whatever it is that's drawn you away from God, you put your hand on it. He says, and then everybody else will be able to put their hand on it. But see, we get the mentality sometimes, Sister Margaret. I want the pastor to put his hand on it. I want the people to have a good prayer at church. And by doing so, they'll put their hand on whatever's trying to draw me away from God. No, 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 no. That's not the way that the scripture reads. He says, you put your hand on it first you got to take authority in your life that, no, I'm sorry, I'm not listening to this voice. I'm not going to allow whatever this is to pull me or draw me away from the one that brought me out of my horrible pit. you got to take the initiative to put your hand on it first. And when you do, you get the help, you get the camaraderie of the church to be able to put their hand on it. Because here's the point, it does no good for everybody else to put their hand on it if you're not taking some stand of a hand on it yourself. Trying to pray something out of somebody's life. But they have no problem with it being in their life. You got to put your hand on it. Put your hand on it. Amen. And so God's displeased when people try to create this wedge between God and other people or things that come. Just things. Don't even have to be people. Sometimes that create wedges. It's things that create wedges between them and God. They come and cause people not be able to reach what they could reach in God, or deter them from God. Not only that, God is displeased when people walk with me. People prohibit others from reaching God or turning them from God when they may cause that individual some loss of time with God time lost almost like short term disability (laughs) Exodus 21 and verse 18 he says Old Testament law again If men strive, here we are again, together, and one smiteth another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed. So what we have, we have somebody injured, unable to go about the regular affairs of life, so they're kind of bed fast. 19, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, Then shall he that smote him be quiet. In other words, he's not responsible for a death that didn't take place or for a permanent injury because now this man is up and at least he is mobile. Only that one who had smote him, he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly Thoroughly healed Again, I'm taking a very literal Old Testament law I want to spiritualize it for our purposes today Because these are things that God is Displeased with I think we can glean from them So if two men strive against one another One does something In such a way that he injures The other man The one who did the smiting Whatever it was Of course in here we're looking at hands But probably in the church of today It's probably with our mouths if he did the smiting, he's responsible for that individual's loss of time. Especially if it did not kill him or permanently handicap him. He had to pay, in the Old Testament, he had to pay for the loss of time. And it was his duty to do whatsoever was necessary to cause the man that had been smitten by him to become thoroughly healed. Man, I think that's a good law. I think that's a great law. Again, a lot of times it's not with our actions, but with our words that sometimes we maliciously, huh? Maliciously injure people, and doing so, we cause them some lost time. What are you talking about? I'm talking about, and I know. We, just bear with me I know we can't well bless God just because someone said that everybody just can't hang their harp on a willow and just not show up I understand that but you know what there is some legitimacy sometimes to people not showing up because someone's opened their mouth I'm not trying to open up a Pandora's box here but I'm trying to bring balance and so here's something that happens they've lost time how because they forsook the house of God because there was some very injurious things that took place pay wraps and conversations Oh, someone say amen. And in doing so, listen, the reason why we preach and propagate, man, be in church. Be here every time the church house doors are open. Because whenever you are here, it helps in your advancement of spiritual things with your walk with God. And so if you miss, it's kind of like if you're going to college, you know, anybody going to college in here, you miss several sessions of a particular class, you're falling behind because you are missing out on some useful information that you need in order to do what's needing to be done for the class. So when you miss, you're missing out on some information. you got to play catch up. Sometimes if it's bad enough, you got to take it another semester. And so it's important as a church to be here because we're helping with your spiritual advancement. And if you keep missing some things keep missing some things, you're going to have to try to play catch up and sometimes that's not easy to do. You're going to have to take it another semester. What I'm saying is this, if there's been injurious words so that it kept somebody from the house of God, it is impacting their spiritual advancement. Hear me? Here's the thing we need to understand though. You know, there are such things as church hurts. Yeah. But here's the marvelous reality about church hurts. Whatever's hurt by the church could be healed by the church. Even, even the scripture speaks of, and it's 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 in the Old Testament, I'm thinking that St. Job is talking about at the hands even of the Lord, he was both wounded and healed. Whew. And so, anyway, so we don't want no loss of time. We don't want there to be any loss of time. But if there is, and that does take place, we need to be responsible children of God to help, nurture, and aid that one back to healing. The same one, see what I'm talking about? Injury and healing. The same one that did the hurting is instrumental then in the healing of the one back in a good standing of in the Old Testament physical uh, condition, but in the church, of whatever the condition may be, in good standing, with the Lord through their hands hands that injured be the hands that heal and think of it for a moment folks there's a lot of things that can be resolved when the hands that injured you are the hands that heal you why because sister Rhonda McGee I'm going to have less trust issues with you and what I think and whatever I bring about my mind of what your intentions or motives are with me. Because if she injures me, but she's not the one that helps me back to healing, I'm always going to be speculative about her. And when she does certain things, I'm going to interpret things through the lens of what was done, even though it may not be true, but I'm just thinking about it. But if the same hands that injure me or can be and it is a can if, if I don't allow you that's one thing but if the same hands that injure me I allow to help heal me then all any future speculations or how I judge her motives or trustworthiness of her are going to be a whole lot better than if they were never involved in my healing Oh yes. because sometimes I think in church life people have been injured but the same hands that are injured either didn't help or the person that got injured didn't allow them to help. And you know what happens then, Brother Trout? People sit on church pews. And they are speculative about ev- that person's that injured them. Every motive that they have. Every word that they say. Every gesture that they have. Every time they look at them. Oh, not, God's not displeased. God's not pleased with those things. If you can stand with me this morning, real quickly, and we come to a close here today, real quickly, I'll just go over these seven things that are absolutely listed in God's word that he was displeased with. We'll go to prayer this morning. Number one, he was displeased with a man who wanted to limit his service when his service was going to exceed himself and extend to somebody else. He was displeased basically with someone that had the spirit of entitlement. Number two, he was displeased when there's people on the fringe of the camp that are doing the complaining. Those that are furthest from the temple in the presence of God doing the complaining. Number three, he's displeased when there was a man who pulled another into his sin and error. David pulling Joab into his sin and error. I'm not not, uh, endorsing anybody to sin or go to error, but if you do, do it by yourself. Kind of weird to say this morning, but if you do, do it by yourself. Uh, Number four, the Lord is displeased when a man's actions are being motivated by pride. A man's actions are being motivated by pride. Number five, he's displeased when truth is not upheld. And as a consequence, there is no judgment. Remember, judgment and justice and righteousness were all there, but they were stymied because truth had failed in the street. Truth had fallen. But judgment and all that really is a relationship to truth. Amen. Verse number six, this just brings us to this morning. The Lord was displeased with disobedience. People just basically being unmoved. I do my own thing my own way. I'm not going to turn toward. I'm going to turn away. Uh, don't have to worry about blushing. I'm past that. No. He wants people to be moved, impacted, impacted, easily impressed by him. Verse seven, the, the seventh item here is we just looked at, whenever people become an obstacle in the way of those who are trying to reach the Lord. Here by and large what we can guess there from Mark is that the parents, we use this all times in baby dedications, that it it was the parents that was trying to bring their children into the Lord. For the disciples to say, no, sorry. Man, can you imagine? Say, sorry, don't bother the Lord with these. I want you to know the Lord's not bothered. The Lord's not bothered by anybody. The Lord's people might be. People might be, but the Lord's not bothered. You know, whenever um, Jairus' daughter had died and, and uh, the Lord is walking to heal Jairus' daughter, the Bible says that it was in that moment, the lady with the issue of blood, she had that issue for 12 years. The the, the interesting thing in Scripture is that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. So the same number of years that this girl had been alive, this woman had been suffering. The girl at 12 years old dies. This woman's been suffering for 12 years as he's walking. She reaches out to touch the hem of his garment to be made whole. And she was. And then finally, the master Jarius comes to Jesus because, of course, he's delayed in getting to the house as a result of this. And they said, Master said she she has died, said we no need to come. We don't want to trouble you. And the Lord's response to them was this is it's no trouble. I just feel in the Holy Ghost this morning that there may be some people sitting under the sound of my voice today because of wherever you have walked your path of life or wherever you may be in life, you just feel like a bother. You feel like just a, a, a ball of trouble, not just even to this church, but even to the Lord. I want you to hear the voice of heaven that God had for Zacchaeus' or God had for Jarius's servants. Listen, I know you're feeling like don't worry about it because it's just, we don't want to trouble you. Listen this morning, you're not a trouble to the Lord this morning. You're not a trouble to the Lord this morning. You may present some challenges, but you're not a trouble to Him. You're not a challenge for Him, maybe for us, for humanity, but you're no trouble to the Lord. This altar is open today. This altar is open today for anybody standing here this morning that says, you know what, you know what, what I've heard the past three weeks is things that displease God, and I, I, I've been made aware of them, and I, I accept that. I, I'm going to come to an altar today and say, Lord, I'm going to try to direct my paths and direct my ways in such a way that I bring pleasure unto you, that I bring pleasure unto you. And I think that was by and large the purpose why the Lord ever wanted to create mankind. If If Revelation says some of the things that he created, he created for his pleasure. I'm just, I'm just silly enough to believe that I'm one of those things that he created for his pleasure. Amen. The Lord loves you today. Can you bow your heads in this place? The Lord loves you. You're no trouble to the master this morning. Oh, but Brother McGee, here, here is my ball of a mess that I've brought to church, you know, today, or seems like I bring. Oftentimes, you know what? You just need to bring that to the Master. Today, it's no trouble for Him. It's no trouble for him. I've, I've had my kids sometimes have have strings and different things, and they get it all knotted up beyond measure, and they fooled around with it maybe for an hour or 30 minutes try to get it undone. And you know what they finally do? They finally bring it to, to Don and I, and they say, You know what? We, we can't untangle this, or we can't get this knot undone. And you know what we do? We take time to sit down, and we get our little fingernails in there, and we start to work with it. Sometimes we got to get some tools to work with it. And sometimes, just the reality, sometimes... There are some knots, Mike Penrod, that are just, it seems like beyond being able to contend with. But you know what we do? We just cut out the areas that have been damaged. And we do a repair, whether it's a yo-yo or whatever else. And you know what? They're able to use that thing. Having been damaged, but the damage removed and a repair being made, it's able to be used. I believe this morning that God is able to do a similar thing in somebody's life here this morning. Hallelujah, these altars are open. You're no trouble to Him today. You're no trouble to Him today. I love you, Jesus. As we all bow down, I'm going to live a life that is pleasing. God brings we all covering Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username F A C M C. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.